Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of Biomass. We're in episode 242. Glad you can join us. We have a special guest, actually a return guest, joining us this week. And a few topics we'll probably do before we, we do our special guest. But let's get started with some introductions, starting at the top of the list with Bait. Uh, hey everybody, what's up? My name is Bait. I am a co-host here on the Biomass podcast um, sometimes. Um, and when I'm not doing that, I am a college student. Sounds good, man. All right, Jay, you're up. Hey guys, it's Jason. I'm also one of the co-hosts here on Biomast, and uh, I play games, watch movies, do all kind of cool stuff, and uh, find interesting things to beef about with uh, large game companies and then still buy their products. <laughs> oh, that's that's a common story these days, so don't feel too bad. I, <laughs> I, I, I freely admit that I'm addicted, and I've actually pre-ordered Anthem from EA and and I am I'm uh, <laughs> have you have you played it yet? No, but I, I like I saw I saw enough from people that I trust their opinion that I was like, eh, I'll take a fly on this. It can't be bad. It's not like it's you know I've got a trusted friend and agent who's telling me this is a phenomenal game. I'll probably like it a lot. Uh, that that unnamed friend who may or may not be on the podcast who recommended Monster Hunter World to me. So uh. <laughs> and then, and then determines maybe forty five minutes into the game that what is this hot fucking garbage? <laughs> so I'm never suggesting anything to you ever again. Well, this time Jay can uh, take the hit for us and see if he likes it before he recommends it to us to go buy. That, that's that's totally fair. See, I, and, and, I, and that's actually how I justified it. I was like, it's it's a one of us is going to have to play Anthem so that we can we can review it. So it's like, all right, I'll bite the, I'll just justify biting the bullet on that one. But 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 for the record, your other your other recommendation of Near uh, Automata was one of my favorites last year. So so I think you're running one at least. Well, the thing is, is that like those are both two games that like you're either going to love them or hate them. So you know, 50-50 is too bad. Um, isn't there a like a like an open beta coming up for Anthem like early February? Uh, well, they just had like a, a it, it was, you know, open beta slash VIP access, uh, you know, this, I think this last week, uh, I bought the, I bought it after that. Uh, my understanding is I thought they were going to have one more before it comes out in February. Uh, it's kind of how they did Destiny. They rolled it out a couple times uh, before it, b- before it kicked off. Oh, okay. So it's a closed beta start on the 25th, 25th of January for Origin subscribers. And then there's a free open demo on the 1st of February. Yep, so, yep, so, yeah. Now, I'm actually really curious to get your thoughts on that one because, like, you know, I, I, Olivia and I played it, and we were both kind of like, eh, I mean, it was, it was okay, but it wasn't, like, really grabbing me. So I'm, I'm curious to, to see what you think of it once you get your hands on it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll be playing it on uh, on console, on Sony console. So I'll probably have a, you know, a pretty common, you know, sort of uh, set of expectations on it. But I, is that also coming out on PC? I'm sure it is. Gonna... It okay. is, yes. I think I have a feeling that this is one of these games, like many, you know, 60 FES is going to be a little bit, a little bit more better. So, if you're running a uh, like a PlayStation PS, like a PS Pro or like a decent gaming setup, like a desktop, it'll probably be a little bit different experience. Uh, the first time you go watch, you know, see a game like Destiny 2 and 60 FPS, then you you actually realize what you have not been seeing. It's you know, it's pretty significant. Yeah, pretty pretty much. Yeah, we'll have to see what you what you think about that. And uh, I'm really curious because I mean I know that um, I think for the 
the closed alpha or whatever, when we tried to sign up for it, both the Xbox and the PS4 were like closed out, like they were you know out of codes, I guess. So we played it on PC and it ran pretty well, but I am kind of curious to see how the, the PS4 version runs for you. But anyways, all right, Livy, you're up. Hello, I'm Livy, another co-host here, and I play games, write blogs, try not to work too hard and get hyped for Resident Evil 2. Yeah, we'll be talking about that in a minute. But uh, that was fun. All right, and our special guest, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Dan Connery, otherwise known as Dragon Punk Dan. I'm the creative and uh, creative director and founder of Dragon Punk, the total conversion mod series. Thank you for having me. Oh, we're glad to have you back, man. You've, you've got a really cool story, and it'll be good to kind of dive back into that and, and find out what you've been working on since, since then. It was, God, like a year two years ago. And so I know you've been, you've been pretty busy. I've seen the ads, so it's, it's pretty cool stuff. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to talk about it. All right. And I am Pokey Draven. I help host the show. I do the Dungeon Crawl series with Livy, and we will be playing Resident Evil 2, which we're going to talk about in a minute here. But uh, yeah, good stuff. So let's get started with some topics. So did you all see this uh, Star Wars Darth Vader fan film on YouTube? It came out like last week, a week or so. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Shards of the Past, uh, the Vader, the Vader story by uh, Star Wars Theory, the guys on Star Wars Theory. Yeah, the, the movie that everyone wants Disney to make and they refuse to make. But after yeah. the recent, after the recent yeah. few movies, we're like, you know what? Just leave it to the fans because clearly they are very much better well equipped to to produce this thing. No, it was it was badass. Like I've wanted a Vader film for a long time, you know, and and this was pretty much exactly what I was was hoping that a Vader film would look like. And it's not like a folding like film, mind you. It's I think the runtime's like 12, 15 minutes. I mean it's it's a episode one in a series of, of fan films, but it is not just your typical, you know, dudes in the wood wearing bath wearing wearing bathrobes with with you know toy lightsabers. Like this is a very, very high production quality fan film with some really good stuff in it. The best way I can describe it is if you took the last two minutes of rogue one that's what this is basically for 12 or about 12 and a half minutes yeah pretty much and it just you know anything cool that you think kylo ren does vader's like hold my beer i got this like it's it's that it's that part of darth vader you never really get to see in the films but they kind of hint at like jay said like the end of rogue one you're like holy shit this guy's scary it's that like it's it's really really solid yeah, so there, there was a, I think what you here is alluding to, there's some very interesting development. So this was basically, uh, a, it, it was a fan film, you know, or, you know, web film, whatever you want to call it. Uh, the guys over at Star Wars Theory, which is, that's a pretty popular Star Wars themed uh, YouTube channel. They do a lot of really interesting content. Uh, the guy that runs it is kind of an amateur filmmaker, and it, it, it's definitely... A lot of his videos have very high high production quality generally, and he's got some really neat theories, does a lot of uh, cool takes on Star Wars stuff. It's a very, very well-run professional uh, site. Uh, so what he basically did several, I think about six months ago, he started the process where he contacted Lucasfilm and said, hey, I want to make a fan film. It's going to go on my YouTube channel, and here's kind of what I want to do with it. Because there is a process to do this, and... What, uh, what he did, he, you know, he got permission, or at least he got the instructions on how, how you can make a fan film. And generally, Lucasfilm is okay with fan films with some very specific caveats. Um, 
in terms of what you can do with the IP. Uh, and also, frankly, you can make no money off of it, just to be upfront with you. That's what, really one of the biggest things. There's, there's, a few other, there's a few other pieces, but the biggest one is you, you can make $0 off of it. Uh, so he went through a, a fairly, I, I don't know how significant it was, but he went through a, an actual vetting process with uh, Lucasfilms. He makes, the, he makes this thing out of his own money. And depending on sort of what news article you want to read or where you see on his channel, somewhere between $80,000 and $100,000 is what it took to make roughly 12 minutes of film. Very high production quality, though. It, it was really, really well done. So he puts it up, and it gets phenomenal uh, runs on YouTube. He is racking up a ton of views, like, and I mean ton of views. So in comes Disney. They, there's a subsidiary company that works for him, or that works for Disney, rather, called Warner Chapel. Uh, that they're, they're basically their job is to, uh, more or less on Disney's behalf, look for copyright infringement and protect their brands, right? So Disney put a copyright strike on this guy's channel. Now, if you don't understand how YouTube works, it is a this is the, like this is a whole topic we could put on a show uh, in terms of like what it means to be a an online content creator, whether you're a podcaster, a YouTuber, Twitch streamer, or whatever. Um, it is there, there's a lot of very specific things that you've got to do just to keep your face above water, and that's assuming you are a very successful and very good content creator. So long story short, they put a copyright strike on him, which in YouTube world, that's pretty significant. That's, that is a, uh, that's a very, very significant thing you can do to a YouTuber. It basically demonetized his, his video. Now, mind you, he did not have ads on this video because he was told he cannot monetize uh, this, this video, and he did not. Well, with the copyright strike, what that also does is that allows the person to put the copyright strike on you to take that video content away from you, and then they can monetize it, which they did. So specifically, he was told by Lucasfilms, you can't monetize this. You can make it, but you can't monetize it. Disney took it from him, put a copyright strike on him, and if you get, I think, I want to say with one strike, you get a warning. Two strikes, you get uh, a lot of, like, I think, monetization ban across your channel for 30 days and with three your channel gets deleted like totally gone all content evaporated um so we get to strike then they put ads on it and the worst thing is because it was his, it's his channel he can actually see the revenue stream so in the two weeks or so that they had the strike the copyright strike up on um he lost about eighty thousand dollars now, that's if he was going to actually monetize it, which, again, he did not because that was Lucasfilm's uh, – that, that was when, you know, one of their key, art, key pieces of the architecture that allowed him to make the movie. Uh, he makes a video about it describing what's going on. Internet kind of goes bananas. Uh, Disney responds very, very – well, Warner Chapel really responded and said, hey, if you challenge this YouTube strike, we are going to take everything. We're going to take everything from you, not just put the YouTube strike or strike on you. So basically, threaten you, double down and threaten him. Internet hears this, they go even further crazy. And then uh, the last breaking news on it, and it was sort of the last video. The guy said, "Hey, this is the only video I'm putting up on this." Uh, Lucasfilm stepped in and said, "Nope, he can have his he can have his film back. Take the YouTube strike away." Uh, so very interesting. 
kind of developments. And it's one of those where no matter what you want to say about George Lucas and Lucas films, um, it was, it, it was definitely the right thing to do. And, and I was a little surprised that the Disney went, went to this links. And I can kind of blame Warner chapel, which is a bit of a, you know, it's basically a paid hitman for Disney, but uh, Lucasfilm had to step in and, and be the good guy, which was, I think big of, uh, you know, George Lucas and, and the crew over there. And they've always recognized, you know, kind of the, the fan community that is really the thing that keeps Star Wars alive more than anything. That's the, the self-perpetuating machine behind Star Wars is the fan community that's, you know, can be pretty rabid, mildly toxic, uh, but they're very passionate. And a lot of times they just, they fell in love with this property that they made. So like I said, very interesting story about what happens in terms of, how IP works, how YouTube works a little bit behind the scenes, and how what happens when you make a really, really high-quality piece of content. And, and no kidding, I highly recommend everybody, you know, go check out Star Wars Theory. One, it's a, it is a good YouTube site. If you like Star Wars, it's a very good site. It's a very, very neat, neat uh, YouTube channel to, to watch. But check out Vader, Shards of the Past. That is an excellent piece of fan film. And it's one of those where I would rather watch a movie... A, like a two hour movie of that, then I would have like, frankly, the Han Solo movie, you know, that was a prequel that nobody asked for, by the way, which was not a bad movie. I actually thought that was a pretty, a pretty good flick. It was worth the cost of my ticket. My son and I enjoyed it, had some good popcorn over it. Uh, but I, I, I could have lived without seeing that movie. I would have been much more interested in seeing a full length version of what we saw with shards of the past. So that's kind of the rundown, and, and I was kind of curious on your guys' take on um, kind of fan content and how that sort of steps into the line of what is quote-unquote official uh, official content and how you kind of run the line on that. And and I'm curious, did you guys think Disney was, was they were within their rights and kind of okay to put a copyright strike on, which I think was officially for music, uh, for some of the music used in, in the, and that was their kind of reason to entry into the, into the uh, copyright strike. Uh, fascinatingly enough, the guy over Solar Theory actually hired a composer to make something that sounded like the Imperial March, but wasn't. But they still put a copyright strike on him because it was too close. Uh, so I'm just kind of curious what your guys' thoughts are on that scenario. Yeah, I mean, my whole thing is is that if if he went through the proper channels, he followed all the rules, you know, uh, that Lucasfilms set out. And, you know, he obviously went out of his way to make sure he wasn't actually using anything he couldn't use, like like what you just mentioned, the, the, the music. This is clearly they just saw, oh, it's exploding. Let's, let's you know, knock this down and, and you know, make our, our clients some money, which would be you know, Disney. Um, I, I think that they were probably in the wrong for this, honestly, if, if, he did, if he indeed did follow all of the rules, which obviously Lucasfilms agrees he did since they told him to kind of you know, fix this. So I, I think that that was that was probably um, unjust on their part. I think it's it's a good thing that Lucasfilm stepped in and said, "Hey, you know, this guy's cool. You know, he did what he needed to do. Um, you know, and, and I think that was that was it's good that it ended that way. But it, it should that he had to go through that for um, how long? Did you say this went on for? for like a couple of weeks? Yeah, I think it's. it's I'd have to go back and check it out, but I want to say it's made almost three now. But yeah, it's four long. weeks. It's got eight million views. Yep. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, no, I, th I think it's, it's, it's good that it ended up that way. Um, you know, I, I, you, you do raise a good point that I think that, you know, Star Wars for a long time just 
not a lot came out for it. And it was the fandom that really drove it forward. And, you know, I, I made a little joke earlier about, you know, guys in their bathrobes and in the woods with toy lightsabers. But I mean, really, that's that level of, of fervor is what kept this franchise relevant for a very long time, you know. And when someone really puts in this much effort to really make something that's a high quality product that people want and have been asking for, um, and then you come in and just kind of knock it down, it comes off as just kind of vindictive rather than, you know, I'm protecting, you know, uh, this, this, this property. So, you know, it's, it's shitty, but I, I think that, you know, you need to support this and, 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 you know, help it grow and, and encourage this sort of thing because it really does keep that IP relevant over time, regardless if you're making films or not. Um, so, you know, it's good that Lucasfilms has a process that you can go through and it's good to see that they're actually supporting people that are, are going through that process properly. Yeah, no, I, I think it's, um, one, I, I would say this is a, a good, a case where the quote unquote good guy won or where, you know, where I think justice was served. Um, it also kind of sheds a little bit of light on what it's like to, to kind of be a content creator. Uh, so in, in all honesty, like making a podcast is, is not technically difficult per se. Uh, I say that mostly because I'm not the one that does any of the audio editing. Pokey generally does that um, or Zell. So that being said, from a technical standpoint, not, not that difficult, right? Uh, Twitch streaming, again, probably not that difficult once you kind of get everything set up initially. But... Um, there's a couple things there. Uh, YouTube's a little bit different. That kind of lends itself to different styles of content. Um, but you really have to watch what you're doing. Like, there's a, there's a reason we've been asked a few times, like a few times, like, hey, why don't you guys use bumper music or this or that or the other? Well, we've explored that a couple times, and believe it or not, we actually were going to use bumper music and some other different production value type stuff on the show, only to find out some of the stuff we wanted to use has a track record of. Uh, you know, whatever company ends up legally owning those rights coming after you. So we decided just to not mess with it. <laughs> um, and, and ultimately, that's, you know, the tone of our show is really just a bunch of friends that get together once a week and kind of talk about nerd stuff. So it, it, it's interesting because even if you follow the rules on something like YouTube, there, there is very, very little recourse for a content creator. You have to hope that the person put the, con the strike on you actually will pull it back because they can. It's, it's extremely difficult to challenge YouTube in particular. It's extremely difficult to, uh, to recover once you've had one or even two strikes on your channel. And in fact, that's something that's been seen a couple times with, um, for example, video game content creators. That's, this is one of the reasons that everybody kind of gets along. You don't hear about a lot of like crazy rap battle, mad beefs between video content creators on YouTube because you can put strikes on each other's channel and delete their channel, like straight up. Uh, this happened, actually, there was a game, there's a, a different game that I follow, and I you know, routinely watch some of the videos on it. This guy got a, he's a very, he was a very popular uh, content creator, and he kind of called bullshit on what another one was saying. He, did, he actually didn't attack him or anything like that. He was just like, hey, I just, I think that's not right. Or this guy has, I, he's saying that because he has direct access to the kinds of paid content creator for the company. And he was. So it wasn't egregious. Uh, it was a little point, a little sharp elbows, but it wasn't like a personal attack or anything. It was just an observation of like, hey, I think that guy's saying that because he's basically paid to make content for this game. 
which was not a secret, by the way. It was a, it was a very known thing was, that he was sponsored. This other guy was sponsored. That other guy put a content strike or a copyright strike on his, um, or no, a it was not a copyright strike, but he put a strike on his uh, on his channel. I want to say for inappropriate um, language or personal attacks or something like that. That costs money. If you're a YouTuber and you get that, there is a direct impact on your wallet. Uh, that, that and that's just that's a fact. Uh, so it's a, just a neat little neat little kind of byplay on how these sort of things work. And we did want to kind of give a uh, use it as a, a bit of a shout out to one the Star Wars Theory website or uh, YouTube channel, which again, pretty high quality stuff. And then two, uh, I think uh, Big Daddy George Lucas, actually, he kind of did the right thing. He, he was on the right side of the force on this one and hats off him. Yep, yep. No, that's that's very fair. And it's, yeah, it's, it's brutal, man. Like, there's a reason that when, I mean, we like for the music we do use for, for the show, for, you know, the YouTube stuff, for the podcast, like we were really thorough and purchased specifically purchased, you know, um, sound bites and made sure that it was all going to work with the way we use it. And, you know, it's, it's, you could commercial, non-commercial, that sort of thing. Um, and get to be so careful with it. And it, it's, you know, often why we don't monetize any of our YouTube content as well, because it's just, it's often a lot safer and hard, a little bit harder to get in trouble if you just, you know, it's free, you know, but once you, once you start making money on it, then it's, it gets nasty, um, and especially with the way YouTube changes the rules all the time, and you've got you know companies getting more aggressive. Like Nintendo recently has gotten very aggressive um, on YouTube and taking content down. You have to be so careful. Um, and you know, I, I had a I had a, a, a YouTuber I followed pretty closely. He used to do Final Fantasy XIV content, and he he did like a review or like a, a, a gameplay thing for for a particular game, and um, you know suddenly said like the video was gone and he's like i'm never doing that again because i got a strike and if i get another one my livelihood is dead you know just because he he kind of strayed from what he was normally doing and it wasn't anything egregious it was just the company that made the game decided to to go after him for it and you know he's got this permanent mark on his on his channel now and it's just it's brutal it, it'd actually probably be a good topic for for another day probably to kind of go into the ins and outs of content creation the struggles and difficulties with it because it is it's fascinating, but it's also kind of it's kind of painful to watch these people try to make a living off of this, knowing how dangerous it can be, you know, with all of these these claims and whatnot. Yeah, especially this year uh, on Twitter, we have a big Twitter presence, and I, I almost it seems weekly I see somebody who's had a YouTube channel for five or six years be demonetized and their livelihood completely gone. Uh, it seems particularly harsh this year as as YouTube. Um, Seems to change the rules. Of course, I mean everyone's following the issue with uh, uh, PewDiePie and uh, the 2018 video, uh, YouTube Rewind 2018, being the, essentially the most disliked video on YouTube. There's there's such uh, such a dichotomy of content creators with what they're going to towards as trying to promote for YouTube culture. Uh, it's it's. People will be writing books about the sociologist ten years from now, looking back at how the culture has changed. Yeah, no, I, I think that's actually a really good point. The, um, the you, you kind of mentioned like, hey, YouTube needs to do something to change. Well, kind of right now, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, they're an they're a practical or functional monopoly. Uh, perhaps I think you'd have to take a fairly serious legal challenge at it. You know, again, from like a business law standpoint, but 
and, and this is something that is, I think, becoming somewhat unique to the digital age that is a little bit different last time you've seen this is, you know, probably back with the original sort of telephone company wire service stuff, you know, maybe 40 years ago is the last time you had something that was that was at this level. But YouTube really doesn't have a legitimate competitor. Like, not really. I think you, you might be able to argue that Twitch is a direct competitor of YouTube, but it's I think that would be a, at best a, a poor kind of a poor analogy. Uh, but they don't really have any competitor competitors. Steam, uh, they just now had their first real big time competitor. I think entering the market when with the Epic Game Store. There, there's other game launcher platforms and, and uh, sale platforms, but nothing like Steam, or certainly nothing as as big as Steam. Uh, Epic, I think, is going to challenge them, and I think that's that's good. Uh, capitalism is, you know, as much as this pains Pokey and his little communist heart, capitalism is, is often a thing that is good for consumers. Um, but YouTube really doesn't have a competitor. And if you're, if you were somebody who likes putting content on YouTube, by the way, like for, for, for our channel, you know, for our stuff, we have like no designs right now, uh, you know, to, to make money off this. Because if you want to do that, you need to treat it like a job. You actually have to put real time into it and make quality content. We we put the time we have, and this is very much a hobby that we share with people, so we don't really go out, go out of the way to try to work monetization angles. But people that you watch regularly on YouTube, they are monetizing this for a reason. Not because it's a good way to make, you know, you know like extra money on the side, it is their livelihood. It is literally their job. So that's that's where some of this is is a bit changing. And I think that's a great point. I, I guarantee you that there are uh, folks in, in universities across the country at some point, and some either business departments. You know, pro, I would be very more interested in uh, sociology and anthropology departments, though, taking a look at how some of these things like YouTube is is operating and working, you know, for their master's thesis. It'd be kind of interesting to see that. Uh, but I think that that kind of covers down on this topic. And Pokey, I think we wanted to transition to one other sort of semi-Star Wars related topic. Yeah, so several months back, we talked about EA basically shutting down Visceral Games. And Visceral Games was working on a single-player, kind of linear story-based Star Wars game. Um, basically citing that, hey, no one cares about uh, single player games anymore and that we want to kind of do more multiplayer big open sort of games um, God of War would like to like to have a conversation but that aside this role unfortunately was shut down and that project was kind of sort of scrapped they brought some of the assets over to what they were working on it was going to be kind of an open world Star Wars game and I think EA Vancouver was, was the studio working on that and so people were kind of like fine you know at least we'll get something well, come to find out that's also been canned. So EA is, is very, very uh, excited to kill off as many Star Wars games as possible. So the work that was being done on the open world game is supposedly, according to EA, going to be used in future Star Wars games, but that project itself is also now completely dead in the water and that's going to be abandoned. Um, 
which is really shitty. Uh, they did mention that the Respawn game, uh, the Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, is still in development. That's being developed by Respawn. Uh, it's the guys that made Titanfall, if you're not familiar. So not really any details on that. We got a, a really awkward mention of it at E3, but that's all we really know at this time. But yeah, so as it stands, that's really the only major Star Wars game that's going to be uh, in development right now that we know of. But uh, yeah, so that's that's fun. If you're looking forward to that, that one's dead as well. So we'll have to see what happens. Um, God, I wish Disney would, would pull their, their license agreement with, with EA and let other, other publishers have a hack at this because they're just... Ugh, it's painful to watch. There's, a, there's memes going around right now where it shows how many Star Wars games uh, uh, Lucasfilms or the subsidiary created in like the same time frame. I think it was like four to eight years. And then how many ones that EA has canceled. And it's just, it's just mind-blowing like how, how poorly they've mismanaged this IP. I, I know. Because I mean, like even like, uh, what was it? I think it was N64, like Shadows of the Empire was like a badass game that came out like years ago you know hell i'd take a remake of that or something similar to that that'd be awesome you know and they just can't seem to get their shit together and, and produce a game that's not you know either you know dead in the water or you know monetized in a horrible way like you know star wars battlefront 2 so you know like i wish i wish someone else could have a hack at this you know no, I, I tell you what if i so i was you know i i, I was thinking about this earlier today if if ea had done nothing but a put battlefront out in a way that wouldn't turn it into like the the central gaming news from a financial standpoint in all of 2018 and that's not a good thing by the way um but if if you took that that game itself like the gameplay was pretty solid i mean it was it was certainly nothing i mean if you wanted some star wars it was some deep star wars going on in that game but it was their monetization strategy that was uh, literally they shot themselves in the chest like on before the game actually even released. Um, so if they had done that, like just st- Battlefront, which is, by the way, again, not a bad game. It, it is a fun, you know, very kind of homogenous shooter game. There's nothing crazy about it, but it's a lot of fan service. I actually enjoy the, the dogfighting stuff out of it pretty good. But if they had like walked away from the incredibly ridiculous monetization strategy they had in there, um, if they'd done that, and then two, at some point, at any point, whilst they own this, this IP, basically rebuilt and remastered uh, KOTOR 1 and 2, like literally, like t- t- take all the same voice lines, take the story, take everything, just do all new gra- you know like all new graphics and art you know like literally like totally re you know like up uh, refresh it for like 2019 or 2018 it could be literally the exact same story same character choices same everything but just update it and then release it as you know as a super remaster kind of version or something like that they would have been fine like resident but- evil 2 uh, yes, basically something like that. I mean, that that'd be a, that's a very good analogy of it. Um, because I mean, I run Kotor on my iPad Pro. It's there's nothing complex about that game. That was just a, a a very much a groundbreaking game when it came out. It was a good story, good characters, but the way that the way that game came out was pretty phenomenal. 
I don't care if they went back to Bioware and, ha- and like, you know, sublet this for them to do it. I mean, whatever. But it, it, it's kind of crazy that a, that a publisher like EA can't get out of its own way with something like Star Wars. That's what's just mind-blowing to me. It's like they realize they're sitting on this gold mine. They're, they're not satisfied with just getting a lot of money out of it. They've got to get a ton of money out of it, and they're just screwing up and doing stupid shit. It's just, it's insane. I, I, it's just terrible to see this happen, because, I mean, like, there was a lot of good stuff. Like you said, there was some groundbreaking stuff that came out years ago, and they just can't seem to get their shit together. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, no. It, it, can, it, I will be interested to see what happens with this one. Uh, hope, hopefully Respawn still, still gets this one across the finish line. By the way, uh, in, in all fairness, I, I would have preferred them to be working on more Titanfall, which I, I've thoroughly enjoyed that game. Titanfall 2 is absolutely one of my favorite, easily one of my top 10 games of all time. And, uh, you know, that was a, a great example of how not to market a phenomenal game or how to release it next to a bunch of other tent poles and watch it get smashed, even though its ratings were generally like 9 out of 10 across the board. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Dan, you mentioned um, Resident Evil 2, the remake, and I did want to talk about that real quick um, because they, they did an interesting uh, marketing thing with the demo that came out this last week, and then Livy and I actually sat down and did a quick recording of it. So what makes this, this demo kind of unique is that you download it and you have 30 minutes to play it, and once that 30 minutes is up, you cannot access the game anymore. So it's basically you go in, you can die as many times as you need as you, you, you had... You can die as many times as you have to, obviously. Um, but once your time is up, you're done. So you, you really are kind of have to give this one like 30 minute rush to get through what they have. Um, and it was kind of an interesting perspective because I have actually never played Resident Evil 2, the original one. Um, Livy has played it probably a couple times um, back when it came out. And the way they've kind of done this is that they've obviously redone the whole game. It's not just like a, an HD remaster. It's the full remake. Um, with kind of a shift to like over-the-shoulder gameplay, which is obviously different from the fixed camera angle that probably uh, veterans of the classics would, would be more familiar with. But um, it's kind of cool because I have no idea what, what's going on, but they've changed enough in how things are set up. There's some different story beats. Uh, the puzzles are a little bit different. The encounters are a little bit different. So that, you know, as Livy's watching me play, she... She kind of knows what's going to happen, but they still have mixed in enough stuff that, you know, it, it's, it's fresh to those who are still very familiar with the original game. And, it, and overall, I, and, and Libby, I'll let me speak on this as well, it was fantastic. Like, it was really, really good. Um, the 30-minute thing was, was interesting because it, it forced you to keep moving and really be on your toes. And, and um, you know, you weren't able to look at everything, but it was it was it was good because it kind of had this like, oh shit, oh shit, you know, trying to get through it, and um, it's 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 a scary game. Like it, it's I'm not I mean, normally not a fan of games that are overly dark, but a lot of these sections are you're in like a nearly pitch black. Oh, oh, okay, all right, I I am Jay. throwing a yellow flag for bullshit. What? Aren't you the one that that like has like little homages to Bloodborne and Dark Souls all over your house? Well, when I say dark, I mean like visually, like you can't see anything because it's dark in a room. Have, not, have not you just... ever the sun in any Dark Souls game? Uh, well, I mean, it's a spoiler. I can't talk about the sun in Dark yeah, Souls. Okay. <laughs> you, you, you probably have to praise the sun in Dark Souls. 
There's yeah. literally a guy who sits there. He does this little praise the sun thing, and you look at the sun together, and it's it's great. Romantic and it's sweet. Solaris, Solaris, best toy. Okay, just take your 15 yard penalty and move on. Okay. Anyways, um, but no, this it's like a pitch black experience. I normally don't like that because it's like I want to see what I'm doing, you know. But your your character's got a flashlight, um, but it, it really ramps up the the scare factor, I think, because you you can't see shit until it's basically directly in front of you. Um, and the sound design is phenomenal because they love to throw little groans and creaks and cracks into the environment. And the 3D sound that they've done is fantastic. So literally I'm whipping around freaking out. I've heard something and there's nothing there. But sometimes there is. You know, sometimes you just get absolutely tackled by something. So you, you're really paranoid while you're playing it. It's extremely good. Um, I had a lot of fun with it. I pre-ordered it immediately after because we're going to do a full, a full uh, Let's Play on it. But uh, Livy, what did you think of it from a perspective of someone who's who's played the game before? It, uh, you know, it's kind of nostalgic, but uh, it's funny you say it's dark because the original game was bright as fuck, like <laughs> lots of colors, fluorescent lighting, and it probably just was, you know, the the ability that they had making the game back then. But going back through it when you played it, I was like, oh, this is the same kind of scared I was when I was a kid, and of course the zombie movies always freak me out in the games but i think they did a really good job at changing it but changing it just enough that they didn't really go away from the original game um it is different for someone who did play it a few times years ago i mean like, oh, that was that was years ago so i mean i won't remember every single thing but uh the intro was definitely there was already significant changes that i feel made it better different and better so I'm excited. Yeah, no, it was it was really good. And, it, and for the record, it is possible to beat the demo. There is a start and a finish to it. It's not just go as far as you can to the game. Um, and you absolutely can do it in the 30-minute times. I think I did it in like 22 minutes total. I only eight minutes left at the end. So it, it's doable. Um, I know I missed a couple things because like I found like a key card to go to weapons locker. I couldn't find the weapons locker because I was running for my life half the time. But, you know, when I play the game and take my time with it, I'll probably find a lot of stuff I, I wasn't able to find um, the first time with this this one shot demo. But you should definitely give it a shot. Um, it's 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 fun. It's creepy. Um, you know, I, I, it's built on the Resident Evil 7 engine. It's not first person like 7 was. It's, it's a third person over the shoulder kind of like... Um, four, five, and six were, but it's it's definitely kind of got that same aesthetic and that polish. It's, it's really, really good. So I do highly suggest you go check that out. Um, Leon looks really, really good. Just he looks like a baby. Oh my I God. Know. But anyway, so yeah, it's good stuff. Like I said, we've got uh, the game pre-ordered. I think it comes out like next week or something like that. So we'll, we'll get started on that and get some videos uploaded, but it should be really good. Okay, so let's kind of go on to let uh, Dan talk a bit about what he has been doing. So I know you came you came on like I said, a really long time ago to kind of talk about what you were working on, and you were still kind of in the development phases for bringing the uh, the Dragon Punk mod to Ark Survival Evolve. But just to kind of catch people up, could you kind of talk about what that project was, um, kind of how you got there, and then also what you've been working on since then? Absolutely, thank you. Uh, so. For those who haven't played Ark Survival Evolved, it's a survival crafting game. Uh, it was in Early Access, came out of Early Access last year, and they started hosting a sponsored mod program. And I think this is fantastic, and I'd like to encourage more companies to do it. 
but they started paying modders $4,000 a month uh, for however long they were in the sponsored mod program to continue. They didn't, they didn't have to be full-time. Um, usually to you know meet the expectations of what you need to produce, you would be working on it essentially full-time in your, your spare time. So it's like a second full-time job. Uh, for us, we were about 15 people strong, so um, we got to take some breaks, but we still worked hard. Uh, and we've created several huge mega mods for that. And since then, they've come out with Atlas, which is their pirate survival crafting MMO. And we're creating mods for that as well. And to, when you play all these mods together, it essentially makes a full conversion or full total conversion mod, which is like essentially a game within a game. And what this game is, Dragon Punk Tribe of Gods, is the backstory to our actual Dragon Punk cloud game, which I believe we talked about what, 18, 18 months ago. And that's our full triple A game that we're still working on is in development. And again, a little bit of backstory for this is when we were creating the lore for Dragon Punk Cloud, we didn't want to just sit there and make up names and, and it's essentially meaningless. We wanted to have the players come up with the lore and these would be the players' characters and the players' stories uh, that would then, they'd see in the, the actual Dragon Punk AAA game. So when they're reading the in-game lore, that's their character and their story that they're reading in-game. And I think it works really successfully we're just finished season two we're working on season three now and that season three actually leads up to where the player would transition into the actual cyberpunk meets magic world of dragon punk so i seem to remember you said that you originally kind of got started working with this this theme because of uh uh shadow run is that correct Correct. And actually, I still talk pretty uh, every year with Mitch Gittleman. Um, I don't know. I feel like we're uh, maybe I'm overhyping it, but I feel like we're like Magneto and Xavier because we're competitors. But he's he's an absolute gentleman and a mentor in a way, certainly encouraging us to, to be our best. So it's it's an interesting dynamic there. Yeah, we are we're big fans of harboring schemes. Uh, we've we've had Mitch on a couple times. Right, at, uh, Mike McCain, one of his, his executive producers up there. Uh, you know, one of my dream catches on here is to have Jordan Wiseman in. Uh, but but yeah, that that it, it's kind of a, a neat backstory. If you don't mind, just let everybody know where where Dragon Punk came from, like the like that title, because I, th- I thought that was a very interesting sort of take on how you. Uh, how you arrived at this. So a lot of people from everything like steampunk, cyberpunk, things like that. How did you arrive at Dragon Punk? Well, okay, that's actually a bit embarrassing, but I'll, I'll go ahead and rehash it. So uh, my father passed away, or uh, he was fatally shot uh, in May 2015. I, and I just wanted to make a, a, a mod for Shadowrun because that was the game that we played together. And to back up just a little bit, my degree is actually in computer science and video game production. Uh, unfortunately, at the time, there were just weren't a lot of video game jobs, so I uh, in, entered back into the Army, into the defense industry, and became a senior software engineer at Lockheed Martin, uh, Booz Allen, and a lot of other great companies. And I've, I've done well for myself. So when my father passed away, and again, every year he would say, you know, when are you going to make that Shadowrun game? When are you going to make that? And he didn't know anything about video games, but he wanted to 
encourage me and keep the dream alive. So when he was fatally shot, I was like, oh, you know what? We're just going to make a small shatter run mod just in his honor to you know say that we did. That was the thing that we were going to do. And so when I brought this to Microsoft, and, and I think it's important in, to note that this is the old Microsoft. Microsoft has really reinvented itself with gaming and how they handle things. So when I brought this to Microsoft, I was like, hey, I just want to make uh, Shadowrun mod, but you know, I, I want to make sure that, uh, actually, you know, like the Star Wars, I want to make sure that we're operating in line with the IP so I don't do all this work just to have it taken down. And uh, they were really not receptive to it at all. You know, they were very strict about the IP and uh, essentially got laughed out of the meeting. Um, they really didn't feel that uh, Shadowrun or the idea of dragons and magic and technology was uh, really great or, or a good combination and the more realistic kind of brown, dirty shooter uh, era of the time. So uh, they're like, no, we can't have tech and dragons and I'll get out of here. So I was like, okay, fine. I'll make my own dragon game with dragony McDragon pants called Dragon Punk. And, uh, <laughs> and it just kind of stuck for that. Actually, I think it's a really good title. And we've become, over these last almost four years, a very strong brand. Uh, the Dragon Punk name, Dragon Punk Mods. Uh, over 13,000 followers on um, Twitter, uh, certainly a fairly big YouTube presence. And over about 200,000 players uh, across all of our mods. So uh, on our own merch. And we've actually been talking. This is something we'll get to in a bit. We've talked to several people interested in funding our game. So we're just looking for the right publisher and the right time to strike. So that, that's, that, this is, uh, it's, it's fascinating. This is one of the things we picked up on, uh, you know, when we first talk, started talking to you a couple of years ago was uh, most people that, let's be real if you're listening to this podcast that means you generally like video games and most people get into into these things thinking well yeah that would be a cool job or a fun job or that would be something that would be a neat exploration kind of thing is to actually get into making games you happen to have made this leap through a very um uh, incredible set of circumstances you know certainly a, a, a very emotional set of circumstances initially uh, which then provided probably the, frankly, a level of passion and commitment required to even start a venture like you have. And you've definitely sort of wedged your way into this world uh, with what you're doing. By the way, Dragon Punk is, is a cool name. I've, all, I've often tried to figure out what would you call, like it's, you know, Shadowrun being a great example. Is it cyberpunk? Yes, but there's magic. So it's, it's, you know, magic cyberpunk doesn't really work too well. Dragon punk seems to work. Yeah. Right, right. It's uh, dragon punk almost works as a, as a genre type name. Absolutely. Sorry. Please go ahead. Yeah, no, no. no. And, and, and frankly, I've, over the last few years, I've seen more and more uh, things that are kind of similar in tone to, um, you know, to Shadowrun, frankly. And I think some of the that kind of groundbreaking stuff that uh, the Jordan Wiseman did when he brought that game out in terms of like merging two very disparate genres of you know sci-fi and fantasy together in sort of one big hodgepodge, I think was one pretty visionary kind of genius, uh, and it it is really starting to take off in a lot of different realms. You see this a lot with more of the 
kind of steampunky kind of stuff where there's like definitely elements of fantasy in there and some sci-fi. But uh, that being said, I think you you're on to something which is very fascinating. How do you make a mod or making mods that are um, truly different and feel different? Now, and I was kind of thinking about this when when uh, when we start talking talking about bringing you bringing you back on. I remember. Uh, you used to take Unreal used to actually be a game, not just a game engine, right? And people would reskin Unreal. They would reskin, uh, like dramatically reskin it, frankly, uh, in terms of all all kinds of different ways. And you start to kind of wonder, like, when does it become a different game or like a new game? Uh, and, and I'm kind of curious from your your standpoint. When you say total conversion mod, there's a real fine line between. I'm using an existing game engine, basically, or like, you know, foundation for a game, but I'm making my own game and actually modding or dressing up or putting a reskin on a different game. I'm kind of curious how how you see that world, you know, the difference between what I would call basically a reskin or changing some sound files to more or less creating a new game using kind of using a, a common skeleton, though. Certainly, and that's a good question. It's a very thin line. It, it can go all the way back from when we pitched this idea to get into the sponsored mod program. We actually made this really incredible graphic, I wish I could share it with you here, uh, that blended our dragon, our custom dragon logo, with that of ARCS, and it just looked incredible. The The actual creators of ARCS said, like, man, I actually think this logo is better than ours. Uh, I think they're you're joking, but, I mean, they really liked it. But they said, but, and there's the but, if you make, you know, let's say Dragon Punk, and they're very encouraging. If Dragon Punk really blows up, you need to be your own definitive brand and IP. So if you have elements from our game in the logo, then there's going to be some issues there. We like to encourage you to you know, really have all of your art and all the art direction be 100% yours. So if this, you know, essentially splits off and becomes its own game, there's not any kind of legal uh, issues or, or um, uh, conflict of interest. I don't know if conflict of interest is the right title, but they were actually, and I could tell they were very sincere, and they were thinking about it from our perspective, because uh, I'm sure that certain people who were less than scrupulous would be like, oh, yes, go ahead, use our logo, and then you know, should it blow up and become a big thing, they could essentially try to claim uh, you know, copyright and and make money and profit and monetize, monetize off of that. So even from the beginning, you know, it was trying to figure out where that line is from when is something just changing a few files or a sound file or some I and I or when does it become its own brand? Yeah, I, I think, and, and you guys are definitely kind of, I, I would say at the far end of the scale of, you're reinventing a game world basically and that's kind of an unreal like i said that was the the number one thing i come up with was uh many many years ago when modding actually first started like like legitimate like full full reskin full basically changing everything in the game um and you could see this like i said the skeleton of other levels and maps in there uh but audio files, you know, all the, all the different, you know, voice dialogue, ha- you know, would happen at the same place, but your choices were different. You know, the audio files are usually quite, quite horrible. It was clearly a guy like me recording 
you know, directly into his computer on a mic with all kind of pops and, and like unfiltered sound, uh, you know, but, but it was, it was interesting. Fallout was actually one of the first ones I, I think I saw that was truly just phenomenally different. Uh, that, uh, I want to say it's like a Warhammer 40k mod for Fallout. That was, I was like, that was the first time I think I ever really saw something that was like, really, like really, really out there. Um, there was a Unreal, an Unreal tournament mod that was, I want to say they had basically taken, um, gosh, what was it? It was some other, some other IP out there. I can't remember what it was. Uh, it might have been like Aliens, like Colonial Marines or something like that versus uh, Aliens on it. And they, they had changed Unreal tournament around. But I think where you're at is this really neat operating space. So I'm kind of curious. So you said you had about about a 14 person team that works with you on your mod that your mods that you were specifically responsible for. Is that right? Right. So we've spent about two hundred thousand dollars since we started uh, three years ago, a little bit over three years ago. Fourteen uh, dedicated people, fifty total contributors, um, our our Discord staff. Uh, we've really grown up, and we're actually this is uh, you know it's a problem you want to have. But we're at that line where a lot of people see it as Dragonpunk is bigger than mods, but you know we're also not a double A AA or triple A game yet, so we're uh, we're at the tipping point, which is an exciting time, but it's also uh, a hard time too because you know they're expecting triple A quality. We've you know built that trust and reputation up, but now we actually do have to find publishers or Kickstarter or something in which you know to take the next step. So I, now, in that, um, can you talk a little bit about your mod specifically, uh, at least the ones you guys have been working on? Now, you're, are you directly involved with Atlas, or is that just something that happens parallel to you? That is another. So it's their sister studio called Great Sh- Grape Shot Games. We're not directly involved. Um, uh, it's essentially, and you know, to your point, essentially, when does a mod become another game? Because it was basically, from my understanding, a pirate mod that just got so big, so much content. They've spent millions of dollars. It's essentially not a mod, uh, and and turned it into its own game. And I think that's a really organic way to make games. And going back to EA earlier, I think one of the problems is that games are essentially so huge, and they have such a responsibility to investors and stakeholders. Or not really willing to take risk so instead of maybe just releasing a good star wars game they're so worried about monetizing and making sure it's a great star wars game that they completely and utterly fail so i really think this more organic approach to always building full games from mods whether it's us as modders or internally as a pirate mod that became atlas is probably going to be the approach you'll see more in the future now, now that's a fascinating way to look at it, by the way. So, real quick, um, I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask you a couple hypothet- hypotheticals here. Let's say, you know, Ark wasn't a th- Ark wasn't a thing that existed. What are one or two other games out there? If you were going to, you know, stay with the total conversion mod approach, um, what are a couple of the the games out there that you would like to use that type of skeleton and world uh, to build? A dragon punk game around like what What are other examples of some well, certainly. so cyberpunk 2770 without a doubt and we've actually been... okay all right yeah i'm on board i'm huge <laughs> yeah, that's the most anticipated game coming out right there 
So a little interesting, uh, since we're not under NDA with them yet, we've been talking with CD Projekt Red since 2015, in fact, about modding for Cyberpunk 2077. Um, we're at a little bit of standstill because they're not entirely sure if they're going to be releasing a mod kit or not. Uh, it's been great. They've been very communicative. But uh, essentially, that's where we are. Because, I mean, you, you can see it, and you're like, man, all you have to do is throw in some new characters, throw in a magic system, uh, you're good, right? I mean, that's it. So um, I would uh, absolutely love. But again, you know, it's trying to find a way to, to get the funds to monetize it, because certainly people are willing to work on modding for free, but there's, there's a limit. And so far, I'm, I'm really proud about this. So far, we've been able to pay every one of our contributors at least a minimum wage. And very few mods can say that. And it seems like these days, actually, very few AAA games can say that uh, with the amount of layoffs and whatnot. So uh, we probably could be farther along than we are, but I actually halt development uh, at certain milestones until everyone gets paid. And, um, I, and I think that's important. I think it's there's. There's certainly the idea of building up equity in a startup, but the the games industry it's it's just uh, it will it will roll over you and it will consume you. It's it's so beautiful and so passionate that you can get sucked in and realize that you just spent two years without getting paid because you were so passionate about developing it. And at some point, you have to pay your rent and you do have to eat and pay your cell phone bill. So, <laughs> absolutely accurate. No, I, I think that's I think that's pretty fair. Yeah, we're. I, I am personally very, very uh, interested in uh, Cyberpunk 2077. I, I, I actually, actually played that, uh, the tabletop RPG version, back when I was in, I want to say, junior high and high school. And I was a fan of kind of some of the, the, uh, the, the fiction novels that came out. Not nearly to the extent of uh, Shadowrun, like OG Shadowrun, but it was, I'm, I'm a huge fan. And, and frankly, just a huge CD Pro Project Red fan. Um, so, uh, like, other than that, I would. So, what about just throwing a couple out there? Um, probably not Mass Effect, but maybe something. You know, it's. I knew you were going to say that because actually, given the mechanics of Mass Effect, the 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 shooter plus the like, essentially magic system. It's not magic, but yeah, it would actually be great uh, if if you were. The problem is, uh, from what I've seen. Uh, you can't make a total conversion mod in Mass Effect, but that was certainly something. And then, but again, we're it's you got to pay for all this, uh, and that's why we're so grateful for the generosity of uh, Studio Wildcard because as games become harder, the art assets become um, more complex and in depth. You can't say to gamers, "Well, hey, this is free." Yeah. So please respect that we have poor art graphics. People, gamers still expect, even if you're a free mod, to have those AAA art graphics. It's tough. No, I, I think that's spot on. I, I think if, if there's a – so this is actually something I'm going to pull a page from uh, a little bit of uh, Hairbrain Screen. So their Battletech game, their, their PC game, is exceptional. It's I actually enjoy it probably more than XCOM. Uh, it's a really, really fun game made by the you – know, basically made by the same the ip was created by the same people that did uh shadow run um so and i'm kind of a fan of turn-based stuff on occasion i mean it's, it's just a different a different style of game and it kind of harkens back to a lot of the tabletop rpg stuff i actually when you first described this 
in my head, what I was, I thought would be kind of a neat take was something more like Dragon Age, where there's a lot of free flowing sort of, uh, you know, uh, third person sort of adventuring that goes on. And then you have the option to stop and go into a more tactical mode. And I thought something like that after playing like uh, Dragon Age 2, that that would be a neat thing to explore in in that type of universe. So it's almost kind of going the opposite way of Cyberpunk 2077, where you had certainly a more fantasy-based world uh, that had a lot of systems in play that you would have to add the tech and the different overlays to. But like I said, I was kind of curious to hear hear your thoughts on, on that. Well, if you recall, we actually did start as an XCOM 2 mod, and we got a lot of support from the XCOM 2 developers. Uh, It was actually through a miscommunication that uh, we got a... This is is interesting. shows you how quickly the uh, industry progresses. So we got a cease and desist because they thought that they were trying to monetize on XCOM 2, which we weren't. Two years later, 2K comes out with, um, what is, uh, pri- is it Private Reserve? So essentially an incubator and a, uh, a funding source for really indie games and the ability to uh, invest, or something like, like venture capital, to invest in new games. And, and it would have worked. We would have been able to develop uh, Dragonpunk with an XCOM 2, go through their private division is their name, private division, and get venture capital through them, and then actually had made Dragonpunk. So, um, and just two years later, we went from no, don't mod for us, you know, don't try to turn this into a full game, to we're standing up private division to actually invest in people who are doing exactly what you're doing. Very interesting. So let's let's kind of you know, flash forward to the future a little bit. Uh, you kind of hinted that you had some, had some, had some plans or some things in the works. If there's anything you could share with us uh, about the direction you guys are continuing to head. Well, let's share what we're not going. Um, we've had, and, and this is kind of the state of video games right now. And you've seen this with the uh, Diablo mobile game that essentially venture capitalists are throwing money at anyone willing to make a free to play mobile game with microtransactions. Um, and you can get you can get at least two millions if like just by essentially saying that you're gonna do it. Okay. I'm exaggerating, but surprisingly not by much. Yeah, not not by much. <laughs> yes. So and we've turned these down and trust me, two million sounds great. But we've turned these down because a lot of them want the pay to win whaling mechanics that we just we can't get behind. Like we actually look at Warframe in fact, as, a, as an example of what is a successful way to do a free-to-play game that isn't pay-to-win and how to build it from essentially a small procedural game to a big open-world game. I think Warframe has done a really an exceptional job of doing that while still maintaining the respect of their community. And that's what we're going for. Uh, so far, we haven't seen anyone really interested in that people investors are really trying to get away from these big expensive triple a games uh and they're really going for uh free-to-play mobile and and if you look at uh 2018 stats of which games have made the most money it is the top 10 free-to-play games have made all of them more money than the top 10 uh standard games and some of them i can't say i'm a big fan of fortnite but I do respect Fortnite for not being uh, 
pay to win and for you know generally being a reputable game and then some of them are let's say not so reputable in terms of uh, that pay to win aspect yeah no I, I think that's that that is a that's a phenomenon we've talked about on the show quite a few times is the uh the fortnite slash warframe model that shows you can in fact make money um with you know taking some different tactics you know or you know having a couple different ways of doing some things and i think kind of games as a service or you know like live form games is clearly on the way up mobile gaming is certainly on the way up uh, particularly as mobile devices get more and more capable i mean you know to be very frank with you my ipad pro right now i play games on that that were you know, previously the you know the the sole forte of desktop computers. In fact, um, I you know I still play uh, Icewind Dale, uh, you know, a much loved you know and, and kind of you know milestone or benchmark classic uh, computer RPG on my iPad Pro, and it runs exactly like it did on my computer you know 15 years ago. Um, that that being said, I, I think there is something to that with the models that you're going to. Now, interestingly enough, there's also the, the more, uh, you know, accuse me of having my man bun and latte now, but uh, artisanal or bespoke type games. And I think God of War is a great example of that, you know, really curated single player experience that you don't see very often anymore. Kind of an opposite end of the effect. Oh, I agree. But again, trying to get trying to get money, like not being a known entity, and that's why we started modding to begin with. Is you know get to build the brand, get the name out there, Dragon Punk. Um, but it's still tough. It's this is a high risk industry. There are big AAA games that lose millions. I'm thinking Battleborn. I'm thinking Lawbreakers. So the idea from these uh, investors is well, you know if. If lawbreakers can be from a big name developer and lose millions, then who are you? Like, how can you do it better? So it's it's been a tough battle to earn respect. You have to fight for every inch. No, I think that's absolutely correct. So, uh, so now that you've kind of framed out some of the things that you guys are sort of interesting, you know, interestingly enough, I kind of like how you frame that. Like, what you're not going to do, what you're what you're sticking around from. Uh, what are your goals like over the next couple of years with Dragon Punk? It's a great question. We have a decision to make. So I've been accepted into the SMU Guild Hall, which is the number one video game design graduate school. And it's great networking. They introduce you to executives from EA and everyone else. Uh, but there's a catch. So it takes two years. And it's so intensive that I probably wouldn't have time to mod and certainly wouldn't have the funding to mod for Dragon Puck. So we're, we lose a lot of that momentum. Uh, two years in the gaming world is a long time. And people would be like, Dragon who? But yet we're still not quite big enough and reputable enough to do a Kickstarter right now. So we're in a, an exciting but slightly awkward position to, to explore opportunities. So, all right, I'm, I'm going to ask the thing that, uh, you know, this the, if, if, if we're at a bar, I'm going to buy you a beer and I'm going to ask this mm. question. So... What is what? What would be the what would be your thoughts of okay? So let, what if we went full time with Dragon Punk and then you sought out something like Carebrain Screams and you said, hey, we would like to make the next. We would like like to help make the next Shadowrun game as a sort of a sublet company that help help runs that. 
kind of under the wing of a smaller studio. Because I think that's that sounds about where you're at, where you have a group of people that are sort of just shy of being an actual game studio, but you're more than a bunch of volunteers at this point. And there's kind of some organizational steps you guys would need to make. Really, and uh, that's that's very interesting. And, you know, that's not to go too in-depth, kind of some of the conversations that Mitch and I have had because, again, we're, we're trying to figure out if we're competitors or not. I've This originally started out, again, is, is a viability for a triple-A shadow run, and that will always be our mission. The problem is, as Dragon Punk itself becomes an established brand and becomes big, and, you know, as, as unfortunately we haven't had the opportunity from Microsoft or Hairbrain Schemes to develop a Shadowrun game, uh, we have to explore all opportunities. So, again, Mitch, I, I want to see him as a competitor, but he's always been incredibly respectful, a great mentor. Uh, so I can't say anything bad about him at all. Uh, but it's, it's a, kind of a nebulous, awkward situation. And um, and I certainly don't want to, one, alienate him, but also I don't want to alienate the players because we are here for the Shadowrun players. If at any point we alienate them, then, you know, that's there's no point in Dragon Puck, really. No, and I think that's a very respectable way to look at it. You know, keep, keeping in mind uh, it's uh, it's less about the, the developer and more about the people that are actually going to play the game, which I would offer that. That's usually a key indicator when developers uh, or games are about to go south is when they stop remembering. Right, right. So I think that's a pretty interesting way, way of looking at it. Like I said, you, you have an, a path that a lot of folks um, in an odd way probably have thought about at some point. Is like, I would like to be involved in that world. Uh, a, without probably really understanding, you know, what it, what it entails. And then two, it's just, it's one of those where, like I said, there's a lot of established players in it, and you got to do something very new to kind of get involved. And you've got some neat choices to make in the future. And I, and, and I for one, I'm very interested to see what you kind of do uh, as not so much just you individually, Dan, but more like kind of how that small community around Dragon Punk has developed over the last few years, like what it tends, what it will do. Certainly. And, you know, a lot of the VCs that have offered us funding have said, well, you know, sell out, make that pay-to-win mobile game, and then use that money to make the game that you really want. And it is certainly tempting. But when you're a new brand, the value of the brand is all you have. So we really feel that, you know, even if we did make good money on a pay-to-win game, you know, would we really have that respect and brand loyalty <clears throat> if we made a AAA game? you know, with that money having sold out to begin with. So I know it can be frustrating. This interview didn't give a lot of answers, but hopefully it showed a lot of the questions that you have to deal with kind of behind the scenes as you're making a new IP. And this is not just for indie devs as well, but um, for internally in, in big companies like EA or Activision. And you know why they try to stay with remakes and remasters and instead of... Uh, risking it all on a big new IP, which, again, we're going to see with Anthem. Uh, Anthem could be a great game. It certainly has the potential. I think it's going to be a solid game. I don't think it's going to be a bad one. But there's a lot of risk. It's a new IP. Um, whether it does well out the gate is going to essentially make or break it. Yep. No, I think you're spot on, man. Uh, well, I, I tell you what. Uh, Pokey, 
debate. Anybody, uh, you guys, any other questions for Dan while he's here? No, Matthew, you got you got uh, most of what I was thinking about. It's a again, it's a very fascinating story, very very cool project, and you know we we love to have you to talk about it. Thank you. Uh, you know, and feel free to ask us any questions on Twitter or anything. We value being honest and transparent. And we said at any point, if we have to stop being this way, we're just going to quit because there's a, the game market's already oversaturated. There's enough people who aren't acting this way that there doesn't need to be one more. So far, we've managed to go over three years and spend $200,000 uh, for one way or another, whether it's uh, Patreon or whether it's having sponsored mod and grow Dragonpuck. And so far, there's no sign of stopping. So uh, if we can... We have a lot of people say this, but if we can actually be the paradigm shift in, in the industry, follow kind of the Warframe path and show others that this can be done, we can spark a revolution of new IPs, and if not in a AAA market, certainly that AA market. So thank you again for having me. Yeah, absolutely, brother. Um, and again, thank you very much for coming on, and we definitely want to stay in touch and kind of keep up on uh, on the world of Dragon Punk. And I tell you what, uh, open invite. Uh, when Cyberpunk does come out, how about you come on and we can uh, we'll review that game together here on the show. Absolutely, I think I think it has to be great. I mean, I can't imagine that it would not be great. So, but <laughs> now that sounds good, man. All right, Pokey, I'll turn it. Thank you again. All right. Well, I think if we've we're, we're done with that, I think we're going to go into shoutouts. You guys ready for that? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, I'm not ready for a shout out. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'll take the easy, uh, uh, crappy con out and thank Dan for coming on to talk to us. I, I think you're, you're absolutely on point with, you know, setting a good example is essential for, you know, trying to revolutionize how business is done and how content is generated for this industry. And, you know, I think that someone's got to do it and it's fantastic to see you guys doing it. So shout out to you, man. Oh, again, thank you for having me. I'm just happy that my mic worked this time. And, you know, hopefully in another 18 months, I can come back and with some good news. All right. All right, Bate, you're up, man. Um, so I don't really have much of the way shout-outs. Um, I think the only, the only really interesting thing that uh, made me chuckle was uh, I can't read it uh, this past week. Um, so the short of it, uh, there's a, a subreddit called Wall Street Bets, and it's just a bunch of amateur stock investors. Uh, and this fella dumped 5k into into a thing and then lost 57,000. Um, so the uh, the subreddit's kind of having having fun at his expense, but uh, shout out to that guy. Um, that's really the only thing I got. I know it made me laugh, so all right, sounds good, man. Jay, you're up, yeah, no problem. Um, so shout outs, uh, Henry Cejudo. Uh, who defeated TJ Dillashaw in the first ESPN uh, UFC fight night last night. Uh, I'm, I'm a huge MMA fan from way back, back when you could actually only watch it on pirated VHS tapes, uh, which, again, continues to date myself uh, in terms of my age. But uh, really, really good set of fights last night. Some great, great, great uh, athletes on display and some not-so-great ones. But, you know, like I said, shout-out to Henry Cejudo for uh, defeating TJ Dillashaw. And TJ, even though I know you're not listening and you have no idea who I am, emphatically, no, it was not an early stoppage, and you lost. It wasn't stolen, no matter what you say in the press conference. All right, Livy, you're up. Okay, so my shout-out actually goes to uh, Hilmar of CCP for his enthusiasm towards the year of the pig. 
um, and all things CC pig, bacon, and uh, maybe a joke ship skin. This, uh, what is it, the uh, porca? <laughs> the porca skin for the orca. <laughs> on it. <laughs> yeah, hey, hey, real quick, Dan, just so you know, if, if you ever in some wild future scenario five to seven years from now, somebody either A, offers you a job at CCP Games, or B, wants you to partner with them in any way, call me. I'll smack Intervention. you. Just wake you up, and I want you to run away. Just say no. I don't care what money they, I, no matter how many. We're gonna say no. I've been applying for jobs for them I, for like three I'm years. Like they're janitor. I will work my I, way. I am up. telling you, no matter how many hookers and bags of cocaine they offer you, it ain't worth it. <laughs> okay. Um, Are you still angry about Project Nova? I was. I actually thought about it's, you. It's, uh, it's not dead. I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever people say, it's not dead. All right, and Dan, what's your shout out, man? Oh, you put me on the spot. Okay, I'm gonna. I'm yeah, going to yeah. shout out to Mitch Gittleman again because uh, I didn't want to make this awkward. I guess maybe it was, but I, I have a ton of respect for him. I, we've been ghosted by so many different executives. We've gotten like 90% of the way through signing like contracts, just like never hear from anyone again. But Mitch Gittleman has always responded within 24 hours. He's always been a perfect gentleman. And, uh, you know, in whether we end up being competitors or not, or he's certainly my role model that even got us to this point to think that we might be competitors. So thank you to him. All right. Sounds good. So again, I want to thank Dan for joining us. Um, and as usual, if you want to be on the show or if you have any topics you want us to cover, games you want us to play, hit us up on biomass.com. But that being said, I hope you have a great week and we'll see you next time. Bye.